0: Right, so guys welcome back to nt talks podcast i am here with joanne holmes which is great to have her on because her expertise is definitely needed um, i've had an attorney on already uh, but there's a lot happened since then uh, so she's going to be able to cover a lot with her experience so you specialize in ip and digital assets licensing attorney yep you work with brands nfts crypto web3 the metaverse all the boards aware that everybody's talking about right about now. And on top of that, you've been working with some of the biggest brands in the world, uh, including Disney. Um, so I'm happy to have you on. Uh, how have you been?
1: I'm really well. It's so lovely to be with you. Thank you for having me, Sean.
0: Well, thank you for taking the time out today. Um, just literally just wanna before we get into it and understanding your background, um, I just want to know how did you hear about or get into NFTs? How soon was it?
1: You know, NFTs for me felt like a natural progression of things because I've done IP law for so long. Um, I didn't go through the phase of intimidation. I more so went through the phase of wonder and awe with all of the new facets of law Mm -hmm. and opportunities for monetization that are being created. So I'm probably on the newer side in that I really started to advise clients and projects around NFTs last year. But I see it as a continuation of my work in global intellectual property for over 20 years now.
0: Yeah, I think that's, that's a, a refreshing answer that you wasn't intimidated by NFTs and you, and you consider it as growth rather than um, a barrier or to kind of reject it. I mean, did you, did you, when you heard about NFTs, I mean, have you been looking into blockchain uh, technology for, like, for years? You've got experience in that, is that right?
1: Sure. So, I mean, I, I try to make the blockchain technology space, just like intellectual property at large, yeah. feel more accessible to people. Mm-hmm. We all interact with software, which is effectively the under, underpinning of blockchain tech. We all interact with open source software every day. And so, mm-hmm. again, I see blockchain tech as an expansion, of course, moving into that Web3 space where mm-hmm. there's going to be more community ownership, community value. Um, and thinking about it from a more decentralized uh, segmentation of the web that is going to allow more inclusivity, more diversity, certainly. So I'm thinking about blockchain technology from the perspective of helping people start from what do you already interact with and understand and helping imagine and create the new space that is going to build on what we've known thus far.
0: Mm -hmm. And I can, moving forward from that going into nfts looking at your kind of like description of your job title now is i can i can can only imagine the demands that you have at this point because not a lot of people have experience in regards to blockchain and also have the legal uh side in place too um so i want to talk about like touch on like regulations uh not not going to too deep but i mean for you on the the what do you see that is still needs working you know, on in regards to NFTs when it comes to IP mm-hmm. ownership and then the in, the real world in regards to uh, regulations?
1: You know that's a great question, Sean, because. Uh, one of my responsibilities as I see my work is helping to educate people around what intellectual property is. <laughs> Oftentimes I'm negotiating with very sophisticated attorneys at Fortune 500 companies and they're great at what they do, but they don't understand the nuances of IP law. So if you would grant me some grace, I'd like to just set the table with respect. Yeah. To what are we talking about? Exactly. We're saying intellectual property. So you've got Three to four core ty- kinds of intellectual property. You've got trademarks, which are going to be brand names, slogans, and logos. So if we use Nike, we've got the word Nike, the logo that's the solution, then the just do it slogan. Mm-hmm. If we're talking about copyrights, which is going to be the next kind of intellectual property, that's going to include technical things like software, but also NFTs on the creative side. So the artistry, music, film, sculpture, storytelling, all of those are going to be protected under copyright. You've got patents, which are for useful and novel invention. So the technology that allows us to be able to speak to each other, the underlying machinery of our computers, all that is protected under patent. And then a fourth key area that I like to mention are trade secrets. So things that give you a business advantage because they're kept secret. All of those things that are legacy IP are going to continue to have value and importance moving into Web3 and blockchain tech. And so to answer your question around regulation and what's unsettled, there's no one universal way, for example, example, to protect a brand name. That's going to be on a country by country basis where you are in the UK, uh, you used to be able to get a community trademark registration in the European Union and give you protection all through the EU member states post Brexit. There's a little bit more autonomy again um, in the UK. And so there's a separate registration process again for protecting a brand name. You know, NFTs are going to have brand components. They're going to have, uh, of course, the technology component that we are hashing that token to some work that may be creative or maybe utilitarian, let's say in the future, it's a deed to your house. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that's going to be, that creative piece at least is gonna be copyright. And then as we speak, a number of different types of entities, including large organizations, legacy web web two tech companies, are filing patents in the US and abroad for some of the underlying technology that will create new functionalities in the web three space. Um, and as open as we want Web three to be, and as inclusive, there are still going to be components of um, proprietary value that would be trade secrets that even DAOs would want to consider. What are we creating here that maybe we want to protect as an asset of our entity or our organization? And think about which parts we want to share with the public, and which parts make more sense for us to maintain, even if some period of time that might be the case and it evolves so i'm really trying to help people understand that we're not throwing everything out and that's important because creators and uh, value contributors should be compensated we want to encourage that that's one way that we will invite others to participate in this space and i am super excited as someone who's done ip law on a global basis for over 20 years to disrupt and think about new ways for inclusion and monetization and commercialization that are very different from the models that have been traditional.
0: Okay, so what that was very well explained, but what I wanna ask you, what I was thinking while you were saying that is that, does, does this mean that things like the metaverse, are things gonna to have to be re, like are you gonna have to do a patent or get something copyrighted in the metaverse? Does it change things? For the real world, because this isn't the real world. This is the the digital world. So, does will they have to reapply for things in this Web three space? Is it a race <laughs> between companies? Are saying, oh, I'm going to do this first before someone else does. Is that is that is that right?
1: It's a really good question, Sean. And and one of the things that makes this an exciting time to be an attorney in this space is um, we're figuring that out. So yeah. there are certain real world legal issues that will still have impact in the metaverse. And then there are new spaces that we are still discovering, which I see as exciting. So let's use a real world application. If you are a brand owner, Mm -hmm. uh, let's for lack of a, a better example, use McDonald's. Let's say you are a brand owner Um, you have the McDonald's corporation, corporate name, you have the McDonald's brand for selling products and services, right? That exists in the real world. Mm -hmm. If McDonald's wants to exist in the sandbox or Decentraland or any of the new metaverse communities, then they want to, I think, very proactively have a strategy. And this is one of the things that Um, I help clients of various sizes think about is what is your strategy we don't want and I never want my clients to go spend money without thinking about the value that they want to receive on the other end so if your strategy is that a community that you want to engage with is going to be in a metaverse space then you're going to be wanting to make new filings with the U.S. and other trademark offices around the world where you think you're going to have an audience participating and make sure that you are expanding the scope of trademark and brand rights that you've had in the physical world into the digital world. So there are many brand owners who are, as we speak in the US and abroad, expanding their scope of brand rights. One of the differences, let's say, for example, between trademark protection as an IP asset and copyright protection as a different type of IP asset is Mm -hmm. there are international treaties that will allow you to get copyright protection in one country, and that can extend into multiple other countries. So the disputes are not heard in the metaverse. (laughs) There are not metaverse courts, at least that I'm aware of right now. The disputes are still heard in the real world. And so as I speak to you right now, Really thinking through um, marketing, uh, licensing, and product development, legal. Um, one of the things that's exciting is for some companies, marketing might go from a cost center to an opportunity for revenue building. Some places that might be housed in marketing, and other places that might be held um, in product design, because you've got a whole new way through NFTs and other artistry in the metaverse that you can generate revenue for businesses that had not been perceived that way in the past. So I think it is is inclusive of strategy and understanding why you would make intellectual property investments. And I think it's inclusive of understanding the physical world means that we have right now be it through trademark or copyright or patent offices, mm-hmm. or be it through contracts where you're going to memorialize partnerships, sponsorships, endorsement, um, or vendor and customer agreements that will allow you to protect those IP assets.
0: Okay, so I think one example that we can kind of touch on based on what you just said there is Nike. I think mean, they've taken it very seriously because they, they filed for patents in, is it 2019? Or was it um, around virtual goods? Is that right? The trades, I don't know if you've seen that.
1: So so I'm, I will, let me say, I'm not a patent attorney. That's a very specialized
0: okay. area, <laughs>
1: even within IP. But what I will say is, because I manage intellectual property portfolios mm-hmm. that some clients sometimes include yeah. innovation and patent, yeah. one of the things when you are filing a patent, again, remember that different types of IP are protected in different ways. So mm-hmm. with patents, one of the things that's really important is in most of the world, the patent filing system is first to file. So if you get to the yeah. patent office and make your filing first, you have a foundation from which to build. And mm-hmm. if you wait too long to make that patent filing, you can miss your opportunity to commercialize or keep others from exploiting your inventions. Mm-hmm. So the way that the patent process works is there's an attorney in the patent office who's really looking at what claims of innovation are you making here? And then what the applicant, or in the case of the example that you used of Nike, what any patent applicant is doing is trying to get as broad a scope of rights. And then that patent office is trying to narrow it down so they can Mm -hmm. really understand what new value are you adding? So we know blockchain technology has been around for quite some time now. and Of course, there are those who are seeing applications, imagining applications and filing patent applications to try to get some footing around Mm -hmm. that protection. How that's going to be imagined and implemented and licensed is yet for us all to understand at this point.
0: Okay, so I'm going to give you um, some examples of situations that I've seen. And if you can, kind of say, I mean, obviously, not give me the full spiel because I know it's your job and you get paid for it. <laughs> so, but yeah, give me as much as value as you can for the audience and listeners. It's something I'm seeing come across is um, is photographers. Now, photographers that have been in the industry, especially entertainment industry, for a while, they've taken pictures. They own the 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 copyrights to the actual photo, but if they make them into NFTs how where does it stand in court then because there's there's such thing as a likeness, isn't there that I'm, i know that the situation happened with jay-z he sued a photographer for using his likeness, but even though the photographer owned the pictures so yeah like I'm, I'm a bit like what's what's going on there how do how does that get solved who wins who's in the right who, what can people do
1: so uh, let me apologize, I should have said earlier on, um, I'm happy to answer any question, I'm loving this collaborative conversation, yeah. but uh, everything that I say is just for education and information, yes. not yeah. legal or financial advice. Yeah,
0: yeah, please, yeah, please say now no, 100%, yeah, it's just, this is a general conversation, um, I'm asking you your opinion on something, this is not, yeah, not paid or for that, not professional advice at these points, so yeah, yeah.
1: Sure, <laughs> sure, so let's, let's, with that understood, let's get into it, so You know, one of the interesting and fascinating things about copyright law is a lot of it is subjective and interpretation. So, Mm -hmm. you're absolutely right. Um, I can tell you some of the foundational um, principles of copyright law. Mm -hmm. You are able to get copyright protection for creative works, also technical works. Again, uh, software is protected under copyright. But let's use your photography example. When a photographer takes a photograph, immediately whether it is in digital format if it's on film by it being captured in some kind of fixed medium there's immediately a copyright granted in that work to the photographer now we're thinking about professional photographers but in the real world if you or i snap a photo of one another taking that photograph creates Mm -hmm. a copyright and unless there's what's called a work for hire and or copyright assignment agreement in place Mm -hmm. the person who created that work by taking the photograph immediately owns the copyright. So that's a fundamental principle. You create mm-hmm. a work, you capture it in a fixed way, be that digital, physical, you own that copyright. Mm-hmm. That's a completely different area of law than what you were speaking to. So if we expand beyond the four types of IP law with, with uh, trademarks copyrights patents and trade secrets Mm -hmm. and another area has to do with rights of privacy and publicity so as a private citizen i have a right of privacy that someone can't take my name image or likeness and go sell it to promote a product and not tell me about it not get my permission just use my private rights in the Mm -hmm. way i look or my name or the sound of my voice or my signature i would have a right of privacy in that By contrast, we know Sean Carter, (laughs) (laughs) he, along with his wife, and frankly, even his children who are all famous, have a right of publicity. And so as you well know, their rights to be able to exploit their fame are going to have value in the products and services that they're associated with. So Mm -hmm. as we think about Jay-Z, you know, for someone to be able to take that photograph and exploited, especially commercialized it in connection with a product or service. Mm-hmm. If Jay has not granted his permission, then separate from the copyright in the photo that the photographer owns, there can be an infringement of his right of publicity to exploit and commercialize his celebrity. So mm-hmm. there can be so many different types of different yeah. IP. And then later on that, different interpretations of ip from a legal perspective depending on what country you're in and then bring more fun into we're talking about the metaverse (laughs) and you know new ways of creating content and exploiting these legacy intellectual properties there are going to be some very interesting questions to answer and frankly because the law is going to follow innovation. That's just the reality of the way things go. So, so many of these questions do not have fixed answers. And this is again, why I think it makes sense to do the strategic work around what are we trying to achieve Let's think about where the legal landmines might be and then develop a strategy where we can't say a thousand percent. We know everywhere that an issue could arise, but at least we're making informed decisions that are going to help us reach our audience and connect in new ways.
0: So what I hear there, which is each situation is going to be different, <laughs> basically, like there's no one you one. Want- one thing to solve one is, is you've got each situation going to be unique and so it's, it's still sticky isn't it like in regards to as a photographer you it's still it's still a gray area so i mean that's i think that's a i feel that's a frustrating thing for creatives uh of knowing what what and where they they go and how they move forward so that they, they're gonna if they are going to do something the nfts as a creative and they're using somebody's likeness or somebody famous you're saying that they're going to have to approach it as more of a a business point of view like how do I what am I planning to do with this and then when you've got all that in place you can approach someone like yourself with the knowledge the expertise to say that okay then that would be allowed you can run with that in the in the real world is that right Mm
1: -hmm. yeah I mean I want to be pragmatic (laughs) yeah Sean because you know I've been really fortunate in my career to work with entrepreneurs and startups all the way to multi-billion dollar clients and (laughs) I think what's always useful to think about, no matter what client I'm working with, Mm -hmm. every one of them has a budget for legal, right? And if if they are a business, they're in business to make a profit. I am unapologetically happy Mm -hmm. to make my clients money. And so I'm always trying to think about what are you trying to achieve? What is the value on the other side of that? And Mm -hmm. what does it make sense in terms of legal spend around legal risks? So if you're doing something that is clearly going to be offensive to the brand owner or copyright owner, you should be preparing for a legal budget to deal with that. And I'm not a litigator, but I think that it makes sense to be prudent in making decisions around how to craft a project. So that you are thinking about where the risks might be at the same time you're thinking about where the opportunities might be you know one of the things that i think we all have to be mindful of even thinking back to a web 2 perspective is everyone's got a microphone on social media Mm -hmm. and so if you are thinking about the way that you're going to broach something from a creative perspective you you might be making a commentary, you might be doing a parody, for example, and there are safe havens in copyright for that kind of critical commentary. But I think one of the challenges of being in the United States is pretty much anybody can sue anybody for anything. And I personally am hostile to litigation, because I think most of the time it gets settled, and it ends up being a waste of people's money. So unless there is a principled reason, I'd rather take um, something that could be a dispute and think about, is there a way we can make money together? Is there a licensing deal that can be done? Is there a partnership or collaboration? Is the way you can take your platform um, and use that as an opportunity to hype our brand or our content? You know, Do you have a foothold in a certain country or region of the world that we don't? Let's see if there are ways for us to come together and create new opportunities rather than frankly spending money on you know, court systems and litigation that nobody wants to be involved in. So I'm a deal lawyer. I think about how can we create new opportunities? Um, And again, my thinking with the client though, is let's be pragmatic about how we can use that budget to the highest and best use. If you want to be controversial, you're going to want to have a larger budget <laughs> if you want to be creative, let's think about how we can you know grow the table and bring more people to the project.
0: So what on a, on a creative level I mean because you're talking from people startups, entrepreneurs, people that are starting businesses as a creative, a starving artist uh, in this NFT space what without just what kind of plain advice approach would you give to them because one I doubt they're going to be considering, um having a budget aside. There's a probably doing the NFTs to make money in the first place. Um, so, but then you you're talking about potentially doing a deal, or these big brands, if they're using anything like that, they're unreachable. Uh mm-hmm. is is all the, are these big brands are going to sit down with every little man and have a conversation, see how can we make I doubt that's going to happen. So what advice would you give to an NFT artist uh saying that the art sector or photographer who's mm-hmm. hasn't got that budget in place? Mm
1: -hmm. You know, I'm a very pragmatic lawyer, Sean, so I always start with, let's use common sense. If you're doing something that you think a reasonable person, and that's actually a legal standard at large, are you doing something that a reasonable person would object to? You know, are you going in and snatching someone else's art and just creating an NFT of that art and presuming that you can go and exploit it? I know that there are a lot of conversations happening around when you purchase an NFT, exactly what are you getting? Yeah. And if you think of yourself as an artist, this is your life's work. This is how you earn compensation. This is how you support yourself and your family. You need to be able to make an investment in that work and understand what your scope of rights are. So, you know, incumbent in a copyright are going to be things like um, the right to publicly display, the right to make derivative works, new ways that you are. Um, for example, taking a story and then building it into a film script. You know, there are going to be a variety of rights, and I won't go off. The yeah, of yeah, <laughs> no, that, that would be you know. a
0: whole of yeah. episode.
1: <laughs> yes, but, but you get a set of rights that come from you creating something that you don't want someone to be able to come in and take from you and exploit, right? And so one of the things to think about if you are an NFT artist is if you spent your time and creativity and resources to create something, what set of rights do you want to be able to keep for yourself to be able to use? Now, imagine the person whose works or image that you're pulling in, imagine they're going to feel the same way that they've created something of value, and they're not going to want someone else to be able to come in and and grab that without their permission either. So it's not even so much of a legal issue. It's a fundamental issue. what makes common sense around when you take time to build something up? If we take this from intellectual property to physical uh, property, if you buy a home, you don't want someone to come in and be able to live there without your permission, right? Mm -hmm. So I think starting from some of those fundamentals, I also, you know, I work with uh, typically mid-sized entities who have already got a following, already got a revenue stream. They are um, entertaining opportunities from larger entities and they're thinking about you know sponsorship or endorsement or partnership type deals or um, intellectual property licensing. So if I'm receiving outreach from smaller artists who are just getting started, mm-hmm. there is a wealth of information, just like the conversation we're having right now, mm-hmm. available online, on YouTube, on podcasts, on the web, just taking time to read, and understand the fundamentals of core intellectual property. That hasn't changed so much. The new applications have changed. So there are lots of ways that you can get excellent information around the basics of IP. If you're based in the US, for example, you can go to copyright.gov and you can read all about the basics of copyright, which is the way that art is protected in the US. And again, you can get a copyright registration and I'm going to use the U.S. as an example again yep, because yep, that's fine. where I'm based. But you can get a copyright registration for less than hundred dollars, and then if someone takes advantage of your work, you can get you know over hundred thousand dollars in damages and have your attorney's fees paid for being able to go out and assert your rights. So some of that basic education and um, the the means to be able to cost effectively protect what you create is available online. Um, Same thing with the U.S. Trademark Office or the U.S. Patent Office. Basic information around protection of what you're creating is there and available online. So gathering up those free resources so you have some initial direction is super, I think, thoughtful. And then when it becomes a situation where you've got chances to be able to exploit your work and license and commercialize it, that's when I think it makes sense to bring in professional support.
0: I think you made some amazing points there and something that I'm really passionate about with say with NFT Talks too is onboarding people to the space. Uh, I feel that the reason why a lot of these things happen and because it's the early stage of the NFT phenomenon as, as we call it technology is that, okay, then you're talking about smart contracts deciding what you want to give away and what you, you don't give away. However, a lot of people selling their works on platforms like OpenSea Foundation, known um, origin whoever, and they have a standard smart contract in place so you're abiding to whatever they've set up a lot of these artists that are selling their works are not creating their own smart contracts so because we're not there yet Either it's going to cost too much uh, or they just they don't understand it so th- even though you're saying what, what you're saying applies i feel that it's a long way before that happens because everybody's just is whose responsibility is, responsibility is it is it the, the the platforms to kind of make things right or is it the artists or that what's your thoughts on that just want to hear
1: sure so i think there are different components of what we're talking about there so what what i was just speaking about for example um and again speaking to the us yeah. there's a lot of value before you go and um make your work available on an open sea wearable Foundation, what have you. Yeah. There's a lot of value to getting that copyright registration first. It's not a long process, it's not an expensive process because in the US at least, the clock starts ticking from the time that you start to um, make your work publicly available okay. on how long you have to be able to preserve some of those rights that you want to be able to formally preserve in mm-hmm. your art, so you really want to again have that strategy ahead of time. Get yourself educated around what are the benefits of making that, you know, again, less than hundred dollar investment in getting that copyright registration. So that's at the statutory regulatory so, level. John,
0: are you saying that to, to before you make it an NFT, before you mint it, if it's artwork and yeah, yeah. so on, yeah. do it then in the in the real world? Sure. Okay, yeah. okay, all right, all right. That makes yeah. sense. Okay, carry on. Sorry, they, they, your... you know,
1: if you're outside of the U- United States. You wanna look at what does copyright law look like in your country? And again, the benefit with respect to copyright is we have international treaties that will allow copyright protection in one country to expand into other countries, whereas it's not that way with other types of intellectual property. So there's really a lot of leverage and value you can get inexpensively with copyright that you cannot get with other types of IP. So you know, thinking in the first stage of statutory protection at your local copyright office. Then we're talking about contracts. So the terms and conditions that nobody reads yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> on the websites, you know, those are contracts. Those are contracts saying if you use this platform as a seller or a buyer, these are the terms you're agreeing to. So one thing I would say is I certainly see the value, even though this is in many ways web two thinking, of having centralized platforms where you know there are a lot of buyers, there's a lot of traffic where you can go and make your project available. But don't limit yourself to that. There are many ways that you can take terms and conditions. I am aware of um, a woman of color who is also an IP attorney who recently created a project where she's doing um, free accessible licenses for NFT projects that anyone can go to her website and grab and use on their projects. You know, uh-huh. There are ways that you can create your own website and embed your own terms of sale. So I would just invite people to understand you are not limited. It's certainly a tool and resource that for some period of time might be helpful for you to use these centralized NFT platforms, but by no means are you limited. And you as the owner of your work get to decide, you can have a separate contract companion piece that maybe is executed through DocuSign or what have you that might give someone a different set of rights. But at the baseline, especially if you've done the work for registering your copyright at your local copyright office, there are certain rights that are incumbent that you own as the creator. And then beyond that, you can be very generous. I know there's been a lot of discussion around different projects where from a traditional model, and I have not worked For Disney, for example, I have negotiated with them. I've (laughs) negotiated with the NFL, Microsoft. So I'm very comfortable and have a strong legacy understanding for the way that intellectual property rights have typically been locked down. What's great about Web2 is that's completely turning on its head and creators are granting broad scopes of intellectual property rights to be able to take the NFT you purchase and (laughs) go use it for creating a comic or putting it on merch or whatever other ways you as the owner of your unique nft would like to commercially exploit exploit it which is of course bringing new communities into the space and creating new value around the work the brand the copyright so whereas legacy has been i'm going to go independently build these works and acquire these works and i'm going to own all the rights to i'm going to start a foundation and i'm going to invite others to come in and create new ways. Um, You know, we're aware, for example, that um, there are opportunities where through software code and it's called different things like serum or what have you, you can even um, create what under the law are called derivative works where you take an NFT and then you put a new twist on it. And then that's a way to have an additional piece of artwork and exploit that in new ways or have an additional asset. So I would say, um, what's super exciting for me as a 20 year plus IP attorney is to really think about all the ways we can do new things with IP, which in my mind reads as new ways for more egalitarian and global wealth in um, structures that are designed for more participation rather than legacy paradigms that were not designed for everyone's participation.
0: OK, thank well, what, Before we move on to my next question, I want you to where is that, What's that site? that you said uh, the lady's giving away. Make sure you put that in because people are going to want to know.
1: <laughs> sure, sure, That site is called Mintangible. Um, and I'd be happy to send you a link after. Yeah, and I'll make sure
0: I put it below. Yeah, yeah. Otherwise yeah. I'll get killed in the comments to saying like, what's the site, what's the site called? <laughs> did, did you touch it, no. she didn't tell us? Uh, okay, thank you Absolutely. so Absolutely. Um, let's go back to um i said i want to I want to use live examples of things happening i understand that there's only so much you can say so obviously we're just touching it so i know that there's a quentin, quentin tarantino uh situation now that is basically in real life uh copyrights and regards to that side of it bringing it into the nft world now you, i'm not sure how much you know about that but it's it's pretty much he was going to sell scenes um, or screen plays from the Pulp Fiction movie, and it's is it Miramax? Yeah, Miramax, the production company, they own the rights to that film, and they're saying that, he, obviously, we were going to do that, you can't do that, but then he's put a reserve rights in there to, to say that he can, so the argument's there, so what's your just thoughts on that? I'm not saying, honestly, you're going to give your, your legal side, but just what's your thoughts on that whole situation?
1: Sure, so I I actually saw um, during NYC NFT, I had him interviewed, it was so interesting because he was actually being educated by others on a panel um, where he was speaking around NFTs and new exploitation of IP rights. (laughs) So I could see the wheels turning in his head um, as he was thinking about this. So again, this brings us back to some fundamental issues of copyright law and then related questions of contract law. So, Let's say you hire someone to be able to create artwork and a logo for your mm-hmm. podcast, right? And you don't have any sort of written contract in place around that. So it... the owner, the artist, the creator um, is going to be the person in whom that logo originally the copyright vests with them.
0: Even now, if pay, even if you even even if you charge them for it.
1: That's an excellent question, Sean. Wow. Even if you pay them.
0: Wow, I didn't know that.
1: Yeah, and I'm thinking about this again from a perspective of U.S. law. But under U.S. law, unless you have a written contract to transfer that copyright protectable work from its original creator over to the purchaser, even after the creator has been paid, the creator keeps the ownership in the copyright of that work. And Mm -hmm. all you would have is a license to be able to use it. Now, if, if if that person, that artist who created your logo was an employee of your company, that's a different thing. Okay. Also, if you started off with what's called a work for hire, copyright assignment agreement i like when i'm i'm doing work for my clients i like to Mm -hmm. you know build in both and do a belt and suspenders kind of thing (laughs) so when we're going out and hiring an artist i have never had an artist push back against my client and say you know we agree to a price structure you pay me as we agreed i've never had them push back on that copyright assignment piece but what that gives you is assurance that then you own the copyright in the work that you paid for So If we bring that to the Quentin Tarantino example that you raised, I don't know the specifics of what his contract was with Miramax, but let's say that he was under contract with Miramax at the time that he created the Pulp Fiction screenplay Mm -hmm. um, that then That contract very likely said that this is under both work for hire and copyright assignment terms again belt and suspenders to just make sure that we legally immediately have vested the rights in this Pulp Fiction work in its film version, in its screenplay version, we own all the rights. And I'll tell you, this is gonna sound a little weird, but it is actually the language that copyright attorneys use. Because if you think back to our parents with their eight tracks from forever Mm -hmm. ago, and we think forward to our kids, you know, who are streaming and now have Mm -hmm. NFTs, there's no way the eight track generation was imagining the NFT generation. Mm -hmm. So we use broad language in copyright law that will give a grant for all media now known and created in the future throughout the universe. Mm-hmm. So that the the licensor is trying to get value for what is being created. And both parties are trying to think about if you're T- Tarantino, they're trying to think about how big could this film be and how can I be compensated well enough? So, to what's the reserve rights,
0: life? though? So, what's the reserve rights, though? That, that's what I, I've i seen reserve rights. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah. And so the reserve rights, that goes into exactly what I was saying. Tarantino is back way back in the 90s negotiating this deal. He's thinking about how can I get compensated enough during the time that I'm giving them the rights to my work? Mm -hmm. And is there a point at which I don't want my work to be owned by them anymore and I want it to revert back to me? Mm -hmm. Or is there a set of rights that I'm negotiating in contracts that I keep? Right. And so the reason you want to have contracts, which is different from a smart contract, the reason you want to have well thought out contracts is because you want to have language that contemplates the different license rights. Who's taking what? Who's keeping what? For how long? In what media? In what parts of the world? On what formats? All of those are points of a deal negotiation. And each one of those points is going to have a financial value. So without having, of course, you know, seen these agreements, I imagine that the tension might be arising from Miramax saying, this is the scope of rights that we had and the time frame that we had them, and Tarantino saying, Well, no, I believe my scope of rights is different. Mm-hmm. And then there's a question of interpretation. If the language is not tight, <laughs> then there's a question of interpretation, which leads to disputes and litigation.
0: Wow. <laughs> it sounds like it's a lot, but it's um, yeah, like these, I think. It's good to hear everything, the way you explain it, but it's a lot to take on because I feel that before NFTs really, I mean, and I'm sure for, for a lot of creatives, nobody was really bothered about rights and commercials or, or IP apart from the big the big brands. Now, everybody from the average creator to going right up to the top uh, of the, the, the pyramid has to consider this and understand like, look, we need to think about what are we doing moving forward. If this is something that I plan to monetize and make money off, so uh, it's it's, uh, it's it's really interesting. Um, if, I'm gonna I'm gonna go into asking a bit more about yourself, but before I go, to that I'm gonna be a bit more just a bit selfish and ask you one one more question just to squeeze out a bit more knowledge out of you is um is what's your thoughts on say obviously the non-commercial rights and obviously the Commercial rights. I want you to explain that. I'm thoughts want to explain it because I know that obviously, for example, Board Apes, one the say the biggest PFP project out there, NFTs, they're given the commercial rights for people to use these apes. So they don't own the apes. They own the logo, I think, and the the, the, the I think they own the logo anyway. I think that's my understanding of it. But they don't own the actual apes. So when they did that deal with Adidas uh, recently, they they've more or less just co-signed it. They're not in partnership in that way, because Adidas brought an ape and they've kind of co-signed and say that, yeah, we're working with Adidas in that way. And then, because I think it's important to highlight that because it, once again, it's about what companies or projects need to think about what they're doing when they're creating these, these projects. Are they giving away the commercial rights? Or if they're not, what what do they keep hold on to? Like, like we talked on earlier on, because I think sure that's gonna be the same for musicians, when they're selling their music, uh, there's gonna be a lot of disputes around that. Uh, fashion, I'm sure there's gonna be a lot of disputes around that. So I just wanna hear your thoughts on the, the explain the, both sides of it and the perks and obviously the disadvantages for businesses, creators entering the NFT space, if that makes sense.
1: <laughs> oh, it absolutely makes sense. And I think that's a brilliant question. So let's go back to what baseline copyright law allows. Yeah. creator, one of the rights in addition to, you know, the right to create derivative work. So mm-hmm. let's say you start, and I'm hesitant to talk about any one particular project. But yeah,
0: yeah, I understand. Example.
1: Yeah. Let's say you create an eight the original ape that was conceived in someone's mind. First of all, the conception is not protectable under copyright law. It wasn't until it was fixed on a computer in digital format that it was protectable under copyright. Okay. (laughs) So then someone said, I'm going to create generative art, and there are going to be a series of pieces that are bored apes that are um, derivatives of this original ape. Right. (laughs) So generative art is literally what we call under copyright derivative works. It could, as we mentioned before, it could be that you start with the Harry Potter example. You start it with a book and then you license the rights to create a film. You mm-hmm. license the rights to put the Harry Potter imagery on, on back, backpacks mm-hmm. and lunch boxes, right? So if you are the creator in the work, you have the right to create lots of different derivatives of your original work. One of the things that you wanna be thoughtful about when you are road mapping the project And frankly, you know, Larva Labs has come into some challenges because they've handled some of their assets differently than the way that the board Apes projects have been handled, is you want to think ahead around what scope of rights do you want to give to a purchaser of your NFT? And so... I was listening to some of the team um, from Axie Infinity uh, talk mm-hmm. about this as well, that their team is thinking about which rights do we keep and which rights do we grant to our NFT owners. If I were advising a project, you know, especially if you are not clear on the roadmap, one of the things you might want to maintain is the right in the brand name, right? Because you may not want people going out and being able to use that brand name in ways that you don't necessarily agree with. But what you might do, and you know, we, if we think back to CryptoKitties, for example, yeah. uh, Rohan Garagoslu's team and, and you know that evolved into Dapper Labs, one of the really innovative things that they did, that I have so much respect for, is they said, you can take your crypto kitty and commercialize it up to, I believe it's $100,000. Okay. As long as you're not using it in a way that's obscene or offensive, You can take that CryptoKitty, go make your money off of it. And they even made that license publicly available so that others could use it if they wanted to. And they set a model that, again, was more generous than really anything that was conceived in traditional IP. So going back to the fundamentals of different kinds of IP, you want to think about can others use your brand name? If so, how can they use it? Which is a different trademark, different type of IP. And then if you turn the copyright and the image associated with the NFT, can people go use that image to create derivative works, you know, new projects, um, Mm -hmm. comics, films, what have you, or can they commercially exploit it by putting it on products or services? So if you expand out from thinking about it in terms of brands and copyrights, and you look at it in terms of contracts and organizations, then you get, a question, get into questions around, you know, when DAOs own IP, mm-hmm. who makes the decisions for that DAO in terms of how that IP can be used and exploited? And then as we well know, Some DAOs you buy into by virtue of owning an NFT, that is your token that grants you that benefit. But Mm -hmm. then there are questions around, you know, there might be assets that are owned by the DAO. There might be assets that you uh, own as as members of the DAO, right? Because you have your individual NFT. Do the NFT owners want to come together and create DAO projects where all that IP is owned by the DAO? There are new questions that are going to be created. But if you're starting from the fundamentals, understand that Bored Apes is a brand name. The image of the ape is a copyright. That's gonna be brand name trademark law. That's gonna be um, imagery Mm. or artistry copyright law. And you've got ways that you can earn money through contracts and licensing to monetarily exploit those assets and if you are creating a project at the beginning you might just be excited to get people to buy into the project but if that project blows up and you don't have a plan for what kind of IP rights you're going to share the default law is in your nation is going to apply and then from there you've got to think about from a contract perspective what kind of rights do you want to grant what we've seen so far you're know, looking at CryptoPunks versus bored apes is the more rights someone can buy into, the more attractive the floor of that NFT is going to be because each one of those NFT owners are thinking about opportunities for commercialization. And I love that there are some wonderful projects, including some that are being spearheaded and inclusive of women now, who yeah. are also being very generous around those IP rights.
0: All right, so then, okay, that that was a great answer, for by the way, like I love the way you explained that. And I think it covered everything more than I asked for. So, so much value, but moving on from, you're talking about projects um, around women. Um, I know that you collected, I don't know if it was your first NFT, uh, but okay. I've seen that you, it was your first one, was it? Was it your first one? Mm-hmm. Okay, I so- it's bought
1: my first NFT this
0: week. So, so that's Black Hotties, isn't it? Black Hotties?
1: Yes, yeah. P- friendly project. Black
0: Hotties. Plenty Black, Black Hotties. Hotties. Okay, so mm-hmm. tell me, I mean, I know a bit about it, but I mean, I'd love to hear why you've, that's why that you picked that as your first project and just a bit about what they're doing, uh, because I think it's amazing, I think it's needed. Uh, But yeah, I'll lead you with that.
1: Sure, well, thank you for the opportunity. And there are um, a few projects, this one in particular, (laughs) the reason why I bought it is I was really thinking about trying to support a project that aligns with my values and intention in this space. So if I step back for a moment and tell you, um, I'm in my 23rd year of practicing IP law, And from the time that I started in this space, it is still unfortunately rare that people who look like me do the kinds of deals that I do. Um, I manage IP in 140 countries. And I say that because I want people to see a Black woman saying that. There are too few examples of uh, women of color in the intellectual property law space. And then if we go even more nuanced and we look at women of color in the web three and web three legal space, there's just too few of us. Mm-hmm. And so I made a personal decision that I was going to make myself available, get on podcasts, speak on panels. And and I invite people, if you know of places and spaces where I should mm-hmm. be, let me know. 100%. Because I really believe, Sean, that representation matters. And so the reason why I bought into the Friendly Black Hotties project is because the founder and the creator of that project, her whole reasoning behind the project, you know, she's had success. She she is, I think the head of partnerships for Twitch mm-hmm. and she has wanted to see more black women in the web three space. And so she's using this NFT project as an opportunity to invite other women into this space, buy into the NFT and be part of that community because there is a dire need for more of us to be in the web three space. So. It resonated with me personally, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I'm a geek, I'm a Stanford (laughs) grad, Um, we are a Stanford legacy family. And so, you know, I think in terms of innovation and I see the things that it can do globally to invite more opportunity to participate in wealth. um, That's critically important to me. And, you know, I live at the intersection of loving um, to learn about wealth creation, Um, being a poverty geek, you know, I was a cultural anthropology major. And so I really love this space because it's inclusive. But I think for people to get over the barriers of learning the language, learning the words (laughs) that you need to understand to participate in blockchain-based innovation, you've got to see somebody in Mm -hmm. that space who you can resonate with and who feels who makes the space feel accessible to you. And so that's the reason why the first NFT that I bought was in the friendly black hotties. I thought it was fun. I thought they were cool. Um, <laughs> I wanted to be a part of it. I wanted to support the project. And you know, I'm a, an advisor on um, the black NFT art project. I think there are some wonderfully innovative things happening and I think that for me, while I am a crypto investor, and I have been an investor in legacy markets for a long time, I really feel like the way that I choose my time and talent and the NFTs that I buy into and the projects that I I advise and support, um, especially as a person of faith, it's a matter of me prayerfully trying to use the talents that I've been blessed with to try to pay that forward and show people you belong in this space. Come and join us.
0: Uh, Well, I love that. And I love the fact that with describing the reasons why you've invested into that project is i think the strategy people should take to invest into nfts in general find something you connect with find something you can add value to or you want to help grow or want to be a part of that's a simple approach to take i think a lot of the people that are entering the space now have been a looking at the money the financial gain and whatnot but there isn't I, I really feel that there isn't at this point it's a lottery ticket especially with all these pfp projects so when there's projects doing great things that uh, whether it's in the web free space or in the real world with good intentions they're the projects you need to invest with invested in. and i didn't actually know about these actual projects until i spoke to yourself so it's it's always good to connect um, so i'm definitely going to have to speak to them guys and get them on to also but that would be great diversity in the space uh, with people that obviously look like us, uh, um, people winning also like, because I feel like it's at this point because it's art driven. This is my personal opinion. um, And the art space in like fine arts and traditional art, it's generally white males that, that I see, that I've seen. So then, and then like, but it's also who's, is it our responsibility, like people like yourself that are in the space, um, me, um, to kind of educate the community and get people on board? Uh, that's why I've done things like NFT talks and trying to spread the knowledge and get people speaking and people that can see. people. You've got wealth of knowledge that you have and you've, you've, you've shared it with us so far. And that just needs to be seen and can be consistent to also to get people on board. I don't know if you feel the same, but that, that's, my, that's oh, what I think.
1: A hundred percent. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, I, because I said, it, you know, I'm a poverty geek. One of the things that is near and dear to my heart is Mm -hmm. women and girls in the developing world. And, you know, I'm, I'm a mom. I've always been a single mom. My daughter is in college now. And I was raised to believe that to whom much is given much is required. And I think about the blessings that I have living in the developed world with access to education, you know, safety, simple things like clean water, And I think about, we live in a revolutionary time and innovative um, projects for us in the developing world are survival projects Mm -hmm. for people, um, excuse me, innovative projects for people in the developed world are survival projects. So, you know, mobile phones and what have you are conveniences for us. Mm -hmm. They are literal access to uh, participation in finance for people in the developing world in ways that simply didn't exist before. Um, you know, things like micropayments or you know, access to information, being able to work collectively with people who are not within walking distance of you. All of those kinds of things are disruptive in ways that are life-sustaining for people. Mm-hmm. And, and again, my mindset is particularly towards women and girls, because when you educate a girl, then she invests in her family and then in that community and then in that larger society and that is disruptive. And so when I think about coming into a space where there's more access through mobile phone technology, well then I think these people who might be taking a simple textile or uh, piece of cloth and that's their way that they can express creativity. If they've got access to some of the tools that I frankly take for granted here in the developed world that can give them a platform that can give them access and then if we're using cryptocurrencies that can give them a way to have a foothold into a financial system where they don't have to go through the legacy structures who are sometimes unfortunately exploiting them and taking too much of the compensation and that's life-altering and that creates opportunities for girls not to be trafficked or you know, I don't, I don't want to go
0: too far down that No, road. no, you, you know what? You need to, I mean, everything you're saying is so important because it's a, you need to explain to people that it's a knock on effect. You don't, you, people need to understand that something like this will change, it'll be a knock on effect and change things for generations and change people's lives. Like I always talk about NFTs, decentralization, the banking infrastructure that there hasn't got so polite in places like Africa and whatnot. It's going to open doors for people that could not do this before. And it's not because they haven't got the, the capability, it's because they haven't got the resources and the access to things that we have, like, like we like so we take for granted. So I'm very passionate about that. Like this, another thing like NFTs is gonna be amazing for obviously it's art at the moment, but it's amazing. It's gonna like, it's gonna change poverty, I believe. Um, but then it's also gonna be guided and uh, people gotta understand and educate themselves because with great with great, there's going to be a lot of people that are going to take advantage of this situation like they always has been so it's it's up to people like ourselves and like yourself what like you're doing is to kind of get people on board and give people the right knowledge and the and, the, and people with right intentions not to just take advantage of the people that don't know
1: absolutely and sean <laughs> this is global right yeah We're not you know, English, it's not American, Mm -hmm. it is global. Talent is global. Access to the systems that made it possible to exploit that talent and to fairly earn revenue from your talent have not existed in legacy systems. And you know, that's, I, I am really fortunate that when I was a young woman, I had people take me under their wings and teach me how to invest and grow wealth. And so I always try to pay that forward Mm -hmm. and help others understand how they can have access to resources to grow wealth. You know, in many societies around the world, people of color built the foundations upon which wealth was built, but we did not participate in building that wealth. Mm -hmm. And one of the reasons I'm so excited about intellectual property and about the cryptocurrency space is, you know, having access to a mobile device gives you access to a financial system. Having access to a mobile device gives you access to be able to buy and sell creative works and other kinds of works. And it's not a lack of intellect, it's it's been a lack of access. And so I love that it is a global community that is participating. I love that innovation is happening around play to earn gaming. Mm -hmm. And that may not be the model that makes sense forever. I know different people have different perceptions even around that model but it is creating opportunity where opportunity did not exist. And if there's Mm -hmm. one thing I know, people will hustle to find a way to make it. And so if that is the model, that is the foundation upon which something else is built, the gaming industry being larger than sports, being larger than music, there are so many opportunities for creativity there as well. And again, all of that is just intellectual property. You know, Mm -hmm. one of the reasons why I chose to make myself more visible in this space is because I'm not intimidated by intellectual property. I've been blessed to do it for over 20 years. I know how to make it feel accessible to people. And what I want to do with this next turn of web three is help people feel empowered with it so that we can have a community that is inclusive and a community that unapologetically is expanding the scope of wealth.
0: Yeah. I I just think it's amazing. Like you covered so many things. Um, I know your time is valuable, so I'm not going to keep you here for too long, but I'm happy, I was happy to have you on. Um, Thank you for the value you've brought. Where where can people find yourself if they want to get in contact, uh, whether it's working with you on a project or just accessible? Where where can they get you?
1: Thank you. I appreciate that opportunity. So uh, I'm active on LinkedIn. Uh, Mm -hmm. My name is Joanne, J O A N N Holmes, H O L M E S. Uh, I'm on Twitter at Holmes at law. So that's Holmes, the letters A T L A W. My website is homesatlaw.com, um, and I'm meeting new people in the Web3 space every day. Uh, happy to point people to resources. Um, in fact, if you go to the Homes at Law website, I'm constantly adding to my favorite resources and they are free. Um, I, again, would invite and ask people to affirmatively, if you know of panels or podcasts or ways that I can lend my voice, to help educate people and help them see that people like me have value in this space. Thank you for the work you've been doing, Sean, but I just, I'm very much dedicated to continuing to see broad scopes of representation um, in this space so that more people feel invited to come in. So I invite people to reach out on LinkedIn, um, through the website, on Twitter, and let's continue the discussion.
0: Let's do that, let's do that. Well, thank you everyone for listening. Um, I hope you've taken, I hope you had your notepad out there and writing down all these all down and we have to get this to repeat and write it down after. But um, so much gems, so much value. Everyone stay listening and stay blessed.